Hey, take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 20 as we continue our our series in the book of Proverbs. Sometimes when you're watching television, maybe you're watching one of those financial reports and and you see this chart that they'll show up on the the screen. It's called the United States Debt Clock. And if you look to the the far left screen there, this is supposed to be live. I couldn't get it live, so this is a recording. On the far left screen there, it shows the U.S. national debt. It's actually more than you see here because this was recorded on Thursday. It's somewhere in the, the ballpark of $22 trillion. And so basically what that's saying is our nation, our nation is spending more than we're making. And it would be real easy for me today, for us today, to look at that and criticize what's going on in Washington or criticize what's going on in our capital of Denver of all the terrible things they're doing in our nation and in our state with our money. But the truth is, and I heard this one guy in an interview on finance say the other day, we basically get what we deserve. The people that are in Washington and Denver are people that we have voted for. And basically what we see on a national level, it represents what's going on in our individual homes and that's a painful reality that each one of us could have something like this national or or family debt clock where we have families spending more than they're making borrowing is is crazy absolutely crazy in our nation and our kids are graduating from college with such an amazing debt how they how are they going to, to pay that off Credit card is like this, the norm, deep people deep in credit card debt, student loans, cars are underwater, meaning can you imagine owing more in your car than it's worth? Houses are upside down, people owing more on their homes than what their homes are worth. 54% of marriages ending in America due to finances and and you're looking at this and, and you're just wanting that thing to stop over there if you can see it. And you're asking, you're thinking, how long, how long can this happen in our families? How long can this happen in our nation until something just explodes? A boat can be just so big and it can take in just so much water until eventually that boat is going to sink. And, and you look at this and, and it brings up all these questions. You're sitting there looking at this and thinking, what does this say about us as a nation? and his individuals and his families. And what does this say about when we say on our money, in God we trust, what does it really say about our trust in God? You'll notice, you'll notice, and you really can't see this really well. I don't even know if I can see it. It's up there somewhere. There's a U.S. population over here, this far green corner, 328 million and so on. And so then you take that and you divide the debt by the population. You come up with the if I can see it up there, the debt per citizen, $67,000. That means our whole national debt, if every single person owed that money, it would be $67,000 a person, which basically means if every one of us in all of America, the complete population, took $67,000 and donated it towards our, towards our um, government, then we would pay off our debt. Is that the solution? <laughs> Certainly not. So what would be, what would be the answer 
to the financial difficulties that we're facing in our families? Would it solve it for you today if I stood out there and handed everyone a check for $500,000? Of course, there's a difference between getting a check for $500,000 and and cashing a check for $500,000. Have you ever ever said, oh man, once I win the Powerball? I have a friend named David Hurwitz. He's not here. He's with his wife right now. But he talks about winning the Powerball all the time. He's 92 years old. And I said, David, you remember when you win the Powerball, Eddie is your best friend. Would that solve it? Would that solve it? Once I win the Powerball, all of my problems are resolved. I'm good to go. I read that 40% of past lottery grand prize winners are broke within five years. They want it all. Some close friends of mine who've just had financial problems, not here, who've had financial problems all their lives, constantly borrowing, constantly struggling, finally. And within two years, it was gone. And they were borrowing again. Proverbs 20, 21 An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. You might think, no, that can't be true. Oh, man, if I could just inherit that money from my rich aunt, pay off my mortgage, pay off my credit cards, pay off my car, I would be set. Evidently not. Evidently, that's not what I need. As a matter of fact, last week we learned no matter how much you have, like the leech, remember we talked about the leech, the Bible talks about the leech in Proverbs chapter 30, you just can't seem to get enough. And so as we continue reading on in Proverbs, you don't find a proverb says, if you just win the lottery or if you just inherit a whole lot of money, but rather we learn in the book of Proverbs The answer is a new way of living. It's learning new habits. And we call these godly habits. They're found in the book of Proverbs. Because you see, until our lawmakers in Denver and in Washington learn another way, that debt clock is going to keep going. And the same is true for us. And so the elders met and they decided instead of us handing every one of you $500,000 today at the end of the service, we have another solution for you today. We're going to share with you four keys to wise financial stewardship. I don't have that as a title, but that's really the title I want to give this. It was first of all going to be habits of the rich. But when I say habits of the rich, I mean habits of, of good stewardship, habits of good steward. Four keys to wise or godly Financial stewardship. We find these in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs was written by the richest man who ever lived, who was the wisest man who ever lived with wisdom from God. Listen, you cannot find a better book on money management and finances than the book of Proverbs. 
Proverbs is loaded with all these phrases that talks about the rich and the poor and the habits of the rich and the poor. And he talks about money management and finances. And because it's in scripture and because it's wisdom from God, it's showing us that what we do with our money and our finances and the way we manage it, that is, that is a, a reflection of our walk and our relationship with God. So just a little bit of review from what we looked at last week. We found uh, what I would consider to be at the root of it all. The foundational principle is that God's definition of rich or riches is different than the world's. We, decide, we defined it in this way. The rich are characterized by contentment. Let's go to the next slide. True godly riches are characterized by contentment. And contentment is found in knowing and following Christ. Not by a greed for more which can never satisfy. In the next slide, rich people, truly rich people, they're content people regardless of how much they have. True riches is characterized or defined not by the treasures you have here on this earth, but by the treasures you have in heaven. And so we read further, we've learned about contentment from Proverbs last week, but in Proverbs it's really important we understand that, it, that, the, that the writer shows us that contentment is not the same thing as complacency. Contentment does not mean, you know what, I'm content, I'm cool, I'm laid back, I've got everything I need, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to trust God and let God take care of me. Contentment is not the same thing as complacency. Jonathan Swift, he's a 17th century Irish author and satirist, and he wrote these words. A wise person should have money in their head, but not in their heart. So sure, trust God. Be content with what you have. Let God be in your heart and let your treasures in heaven be the treasure in your heart. But God has made us to be good stewards of what we have. And he's called us to be wise and responsible in our heads with what he has given us. So listen, if you're not responsible financially with all that God has given you, basically that means you're not a good steward. And steward, that's a nice Bible word for you're not managing you're not caring for what God has given you. And that directly affects your relationship with God. That really reflects your faith and your trust in him. So don't shut me off, all right? Don't think for a minute that what we're talking about here in Proverbs is, is this not spiritual? We're just having a financial counseling session here for the next few weeks. This is really, I was sharing this with Richard earlier, this is where the rubber meets the road of where God is in our lives. And what's really important to us. We can talk about our prayer life and our church attendance, but our bank statements are a huge statement of where God is in our lives. And so while I might entitle this habits of the rich, because that's the terminology that he uses here in the book of Proverbs, my preference is to, is to call this habits of a good steward. Four keys to wise financial stewardship. We find in Proverbs, number one, plan responsibly, save regularly. This is all in Proverbs. Give generously and grow spiritually. Now here, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that... Um, this is, this is not rocket science. This is not, you're, you're not going to hear me say this and you go, well, well, wow, that's a new take on, on money management and finances. You're going to say, well, of course, Eddie, everybody knows this. 
And here's what's crazy about it. While everybody knows this, what's really amazing is most everybody doesn't follow what they know. So we're going to take a look at two of these principles today and we'll look at the next two next week just for the sake of time. Number one, plan responsibly. Proverbs 21 and verse 5 tells us the plans of the diligent, there's our word, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So notice he's, this is a comparative proverb. He's comparing those who, you might say, are rich or poor. One who's found profit and one who's found poverty. And what's the difference? One has a plan and with diligence follows it. The others just spends all that they have in haste impulsively with no clue of what's going on. Now, which one are you? Statistically speaking, I can't, it's hard to believe this is true, but this is what the research tells us. Nine out of ten of us are impulsive shoppers. We want it. We want it now, even if we can't afford it. And here, here's what's crazy. I thought about this, that many of us are impulsive. The guy, our culture has kind of created that. Have you ever been to a store where things are on sale? Every store you go to, wherever it is, it's always on that day, the annual sale. And that sale is going to end that night at midnight. And if you don't buy what you're supposed to buy on that day, it's going to increase probably twice the amount the next day. And so basically by spending money today, you're saving a lot more money rather than waiting until tomorrow. That's the way it works. You're spending, you're saving money by impulsively spending your money now. That's acting hastily. The scriptures say that leads to poverty. That's a poor steward. Proverbs 21, 20, and I love the good news translation. It really just smacks us in the face. It says, stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Are you stupid? Problem is impulsive spending. So how do, you, how do you break impulsive spending? Well, you have a plan. That's what the plans of the diligent lead to profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. The key is to have a plan, to plan responsibly. Listen, things aren't just going to work out for you financially. It doesn't happen. You talk to people who are doing well financially, people who are stable, or you might say people who are rich, and you say, well, how did you achieve that? How did it happen for you like that? Very seldom will any of them go, I don't know. It's just like, wow, it just happened. Most of them had a plan, and they followed that plan with self-discipline or diligence. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 23, he speaks about, here's how to have a plan. Verse 23, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and the new growth appears, and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing, and the goats for the price of field. You will, this is what we want. You will have plenty of goat's milk. That's what we're driving for. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed you and your family and to nourish your servant girls. Now we're thinking, man, what in the world has that got to do with us? You see, for them, their assets, it was their flocks, their herds, their hay, and their lambs. And he's saying, know your condition of your flocks. Be aware of what you have. 
Be in the driver's seat of, of, of what you've got and, and what you earn and what you own and what you owe and know where your money is going. Have you ever heard someone say, well, man, at the end of the month, I, I just, I don't know what happened to my money. That's not the words of a good steward. For me personally, one of the things that I would suggest you consider, I have a program called Quicken. And every time I take all of our receipts and I calculate, I put everything in there into Quicken, I can tell you today how much money, for example, Karen has spent on her hair from January till today. <laughs> she's not in here today. She's in the prayer room. Or I can tell you, she'll say, well, how much do you spend on your hair? I'll say, well, I go to Great Clips. I can tell you how much we spend on dining last year. Quicken is an incredible, great program to use. See, I think, I think this is one of the reasons I said 54% of our marriages end because of financial anxiety. So much of us are battling with anxiety because of finances. And it's not simply because we don't have much money. I told you in Guatemala, they're some of the happiest people in the world, but they're some of the poorest people in the world. They don't have a lot of money, but they don't have the anxiety we have. The anxiety often comes from the cluelessness we have, the sloppiness we have in our finances. Scripture says, be aware and plan responsibly. And then once you've identified these things, plan your spending through having what's called a budget. I would suggest that though it's written in different language, the book of Proverbs is advising us to, have, have a, to use a budget. A budget is, is planned spending. It's telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering where did it go. If you're going, well, I, I've heard about that, Eddie, but I really don't have a clue about how to put together a budget. There are some individuals here that would love to sit down with you and help you with that. I have a tool, I use this in premarital counseling and we talk about finances and it's a sheet and it helps you set up a budget. It helps you set up goals for, goals for giving, goals for saving, goals for your, your spending. You identify how much I'm bringing in and you take all the different categories of your expenses and you identify how much money is gonna go into each of those categories. And as you look at your spending and there's something you wanna buy, if there's not enough money in that category, then guess what? You don't buy it because you're planning responsibly. I mentioned John D. Rockefeller last week. He was once asked, he was like one of the richest men in our nation, perhaps in the world in the 20th century. They said, well, John D., what is, what is the secret to your success? He says, well, it's this, save 10%, tithe 10%, and live on the rest. That's a plan. Let me ask you, what is your plan? Proverbs 21 says, verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. So we'll talk about next week. Is it next week? Yeah, it'll, it'll be next week. What do we mean by profit? I'm not promising you new cars and new houses, all right? We'll define that next week. Number one, plan responsibly. What's the second key to wise financial stewardship? Save regularly. Proverbs 21 and verse 20 says this. In the house of the wise, the Proverbs does this a lot. The foolish, the wise, the foolish, the wise, and compares them. In the house of the wise, Proverbs 21, 20, are the stores of choice food and oil. But a foolish man, uh, but, but a foolish man devours all he has. So what's the difference between a wise man and a foolish man? One spends all he has, another stores some away and saves. Which one are you? 
The average person in Japan, the average Japanese saves 25%. The average European saves 18%. The average American saves 5% of their income. Let me ask you, are you the average American? Are you a good steward? Many articles, many articles I read on finance warn us that by the time most Americans who are alive today go into retirement, they will be broke because they're not doing what Scripture says. They're not storing away now. Proverbs 13, 11 says this. He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Do you hear that? Because some, some of you may be thinking, well, this is not for me. I don't make enough money to save a thing. It's not a matter of saving tons. It's a matter of setting aside some little by middle, little. And it's amazing over the years how it will grow. That's what wise investment counselors tell us all the time. That's what the Bible was telling us over 3,000 years ago. In this passage I read to you earlier in chapter 27, verses 23 through 27, I won't read that again, but he's speaking of the wisdom of how you need to think about the future. You need to prepare for times when you're not going to be having as much as you have today and be planning on that. That's a tremendously important plan for, for saving in the sense of saving for an emergency, for an emergency fund so that when in the times, hard times come up, you don't have to borrow. Karen and I were talking about this many, many, many years ago when we realized she's from Northern Ireland and all her family lives in Northern Ireland and Scotland. Well, what are we going to do if, if her mother or stepfather or, or one of her relatives dies and we're both going to go there? Well, we're not just going to go to the savings. We got tons of money. It costs a lot to fly over there. How are we going to? We'll all have to pay for that on a credit card. And so every time we decided that's not what we're going to do, we opened up an account in our um, in our, in our bank, in our savings account, and you can actually name them, and ours was called Ireland. And so every time Karen would get paid or I would get paid, we wouldn't put tons of money in. We'd just put a little bit of money each time we got paid. A few years later, Karen's stepfather passed away. And it was very sad, but, but my thought was, I wasn't going, oh, man, what are we going to do? How are we going to get there? I, I was at peace. There was no anxiety. We were able in an instant, without borrowing money, without putting on a card, because we had saved up little by little, able to go to this funeral. We were able to help pay for the expenses of the funeral because we had followed the principles that God teaches us. I have another account. Um, I have actually four savings accounts that I put just a little, a little bit in. And one of them was, uh, I call it, I still have it, but I don't use it for the same thing anymore. It's called Wedding. So I have these friends, weddings. I have these friends and, and I was watching them when I was younger and I had my little girl Hannah and my son Jonathan and I was watching them um, freak out over the amount of money they were having to pay for their, their children's weddings. It's incredible. I was seeing friends of mine, listen, get second mortgages to pay for their children's weddings and, and just max out their credit cards. And I was thinking, I got a friend who has three daughters and he's like one of my best friends in Baton Rouge. And every time it was like, it's just so much money. I thought, I don't want that to happen. I don't want to face that. And so when Helen was just a wee little girl, we opened up an account that says weddings. And every time Karen got paid or every time I got paid, we dumped just a little bit of money in our wedding account. And years later, when Hannah was, what, 25, 26, she came up to me. She says, Dad, I'm getting married. And I didn't go, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm in trouble. I did about the guy maybe, but not about the money. I was, I, 
I was cool about the money. I said, Hannah, your mom and I have been saving up for years. Here's a check for $500. It's going to be a good one. <laughs> Dads with little girls, it's not $500. Listen to me. It's crazy. It's not right. The amount of money that weddings cost, start saving now. I handed her a big chunk. I handed my son a big chunk of money. And I was stressed free. Look, I'm not rich. I'm not telling you this is what I did to get rich, but I'm telling you there are some things that I have learned. It's just simple stuff in scripture that have helped me not have anxiety. One of them is plan responsibly. The second one is save regularly. Now there's two more keys to, to wise financial stewardship, but they are so important. I was looking at my notes and I was thinking, no, I'm, I'm not going to rush to that. I'm going to save the next two for next week. And so what I want to do now, I want to let Jesus close this lesson with a passage in Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable. It's, it's on the topic of stewardship, basically. It's the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14. And, and I, I kind of messed up. In your life groups, I gave you for today... 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to unpack and discuss. And if I could rewind the time and do it over again, I would give you this passage, Matthew 25, the parable of talents. Say, do this today in your life groups. For next Sunday, do 2 Corinthians 9. It doesn't matter if, if you don't do it like that, but that's, that's a suggestion uh, you, you might want to consider. Listen to the words of Jesus. Let me close with a few thoughts from that and we'll be done for today. Matthew 25, 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Yeah, Jesus is talking about money. Look at that. Verse 17, so also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who'd received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received the one talent came. Master, he said, I, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, oh, it's just money. Oh, look at, look at the reply. His master replied, you wicked, lazy Serve. You know, the Proverbs has a lot to say about laziness. We're going to get to that in about three weeks. That's really toe-stepping sermon. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put 
my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can unpack that further in your life groups. Let me just give you these three brief points from that. All that I am. It's talking about money, right? But more. All that I am. All that I have, this jacket, these glasses, these shoes, this wallet, all that, all that I've got, it's his. What you are and what you have is not yours, it's God's. Secondly, all of us, regardless of how much we have, we're all called to be good stewards of what God has entrusted in our care. We've all been called by God to take what he has given us and use it for his eternal kingdom purposes. Don't make the mistake today to think, well, I just don't have what they have. Don't make the mistake of this one talent man. I don't have as much as they do. Therefore, this doesn't apply to me. The same principles of stewardship applied to all three. And then thirdly, this is incredibly sobering how I manage my life my material goods my money that's the word used here it really matters to God that's what this parable is telling. Do you, do you understand the context of this parable? The disciples are going, what's it going to be like at the end when it all comes to an end and the day of judgment happens and Jesus gives three parables and this is a parable about judgment. Jesus says to this man that he's wicked and lazy. He didn't say to this man, no problem, it's just money because it wasn't just money. It wasn't about money. It's about the way we look at God. It's about the way we treat God. It's about the place where we hold God in our lives. It reflects our faith and our trust in him and our priorities. And so the question, the sobering question from this parable, which reflects the, the wisdom in Proverbs, are you a good steward or not? In what way would God have you to make changes in your life regarding these things? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. I think I've said this many times in prayer that you didn't just create us and dump us on this earth and say, you guys figure it out. But you've given us your word, which is like a manual for life. And it gives us instruction on every aspect of our lives, not just on what we're supposed to do on Sunday mornings. And we come before you, Father, and we receive this wisdom that you have given us. Help us to know what it means to our lives as individuals. Father, we thank you for all that you've entrusted into our care as stewards and managers of these things. We offer our lives and all that we are and all that we have for your purposes. I would ask you, you stand now. We're going to continue in prayer. Go ahead, you can stand. I should have asked you earlier. I'm going to ask our shepherds and their wives to, to be available to, to pray with you. There's a lot going on. A lot of us are carrying burdens and hurts. 
Let's enter in this time in prayer. If you'd like to respond to our shepherds, please do so. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.